Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. If you're part of the world you're on, what time of day it is for you, I do appreciate you and thank you for listening to my podcast, Where's My Mind, hosted by Chevy, a.k.a. Brian R. Barter. I am not a home right now. I am in a very different place because this is where situations have led me, and I am recording this on a different day than the actual recording of the episode. However, that does not matter. The point is that I thank you for listening to my podcast. Thank you for giving me your listenership and for taking your time to hear my words and to try to understand um, mental illness and mental health and, and um, psychology and and take my insight for whatever you take it for. If you get anything out of this at all, if you can relate, my email is drchevy, D-R-S-H-E-W-V-Y, at gmail.com. <sighs> I want to say that the antagonist in this um, episode is not one I am there to criticize, I'm using this as an example, called Limerence or whatnot, but I am not here to say anything bad about him. Please understand that this person probably does not know what he's been doing. He probably does now, but at the first, it was probably also conscious. So don't always blame the antagonistic party until you know what trauma they had. Because in order to do this, they had to have had some severe fucking trauma themselves. It's not just me. We're, we're both probably pretty bad CPTSD survivors. I hate using one survivor too. Experiencers. Uh, so thank you for listening to this and getting what you can out of it listen to my trauma bonding episode it's a new term I, I know I'm using all these uh, cliche psychology terms but these are things that have actually happened to me and applied to my life here we go where's my mind hello thanks for listening to where's my mind by yours truly Brian R. Barter also known as Chevy um, today, uh, I'd like to talk about something that has been rather pertinent in my life for quite some time now. It has been the bane of my existence and also the ultimate magic in my life. I'm using myself as an example uh, while also going to be um, utilizing um, actual resources from other sites that will describe this very well. Um, and if you ever find yourself in a situation, um, all I can say is good luck. I'm not here to give you relationship advice. I'm here to give you some life advice and inform you and uh, give you my insight and my best opinions. But um, advice on this certainly come from, should not come from me um, because I am involved in one. I'm talking about trauma bonding. Trauma bonding is a very complex and nuanced thing. Um, we're hearing about these psychology terms more and more these, these days, things that are not normally, had not normally been discussed and uh, at least had a name for them unless you read, um, you know, relationship psychology books but trauma bonding or being in a trauma bond is a type of toxic relationship it's, it's very toxic and I want to tell you that it's probably the hardest form of relationship to leave to leave a trauma bonding relationship at least in my experience and I'm, I believe I'm coming as the victim I, I hate, I'm not trying to play the victim card here but the facts add up to this um, though I do have signs of abuser as well that I became limerent <coughs> I'll explain what that means later on, but basically I could not let go of this person. I never have been able to, and I honestly am beginning to believe that I probably never will. It would require absolute no contact for a long, long period of time. They're saying maybe a year or so is recommended, Um, and that to me, being without a relationship at all for a year sounds petrifying, let alone without this person. I, I mentioned this person's name throughout the podcast, but I'm just going to call him boyfriend. It's easier if I just say that. 
that way because I, I, I like to stop naming names so much. Um, I like to stop. <laughs> I, I never use last names, but either way, um, if you know my personal life, it's easy to kind of put these things together. Um, so in order to, for the sake of professionalism, let's just call it BF or boyfriend. Uh, yes, I am LGBT. Um, my name is Brian, aka Chevy. I'm not ashamed of anything. I like who I am, though sometimes I forget who I am because of this relationship. Sometimes I don't know who I am anymore, and I don't record podcast episodes, and then I get really lazy, and then like, I feel bad about it and do things like I did before, like update, upload a two, three-month-old unreleased episode that's seven and a half minutes long as filler content. So, trauma bonding, what is it and who is susceptible to this? I'm reading here from two different websites. One, we all know better help. I hate to use their website because they're so commercialized, but it seems to know they're not, they seem to know what the fuck they're talking about. Um, so along these along these lines here, I'm reading things about the kind of people that get involved in trauma bonding relationships, okay? And this seems to be pretty accurate, um, mostly to both of us in this sense. So one thing is people with dependent personalities. Now, one of the first things me and boyfriend realized we got together in October 2021 was that we both have codependent traits or habits. I am more overt about it. That means I'm very obvious about it. Well, he is covert about it, which means that he is kind of under the radar, more subtle about it. Those terms overt and covert also can be applied to narcissism. Okay. Uh, yes, boyfriend is a covert narcissist. And it took me about six months to realize this five to six months uh, because it's covert it's under the radar but luckily I had already started doing my psychology research it because it had become quite a hobby for me and I honestly I didn't want to read about it because it seemed so familiar that it scared me and like I kind of avoided the whole topic of covert narcissism for a long time and finally I was like okay I really can't ignore this anymore it seems, seems to be like taking my life here um so uh so in this sense, that's okay. We have a covert narcissist and the more or less an empath, um, a highly sensitive person, an INFP personality type, that being myself. And now we're both codependent, right? We we realize this and we kind of go along with it. For me, it was almost like a breath of fresh air because a sigh of relief because I had always been highly judged for being uh, more clingy on the codependent side and stuff like that. And uh, that is part of my attachment style. Um, now this is a big thing here. I have the it's called anxious attachment style. That means that, well, in a nutshell, like I said, more dependent, clingy, needy. Um, uh, I need to be held a lot. Uh, I require affection. I want to give and receive a lot of that. Um, I'm very lovey-dovey. Okay, now the boyfriend here has um, a mixed attachment style. He has the anxious avoidant type. Um, on, the, on the attachment scale, there's secure, anxious, avoidant, and anxious avoidant. Now, knowing what we know about anxious, the other two are pretty self-explanatory. So, avoidant would mean that they generally avoid being close to anybody romantically or um, intimately. So, if you're a mix, okay, that leads to a disaster, really, in my opinion, in my experience, which I think that is the main thing that created a trauma bond here. That is what perpetuates it and keeps it going. Because that is, that is the, the, the focal point of it. Because see, if you have the anxious avoidance, it means that you will have that clingy sense where you have a fear of a bit of abandonment, which anxious people always do. So, and then you switch from that 
once you feel a bit smothered, you feel like it's too much for you, and you feel like you're losing your independence or whatever, and uh, you actually just become a total asshole, in my opinion, for lack of better terms, and you just leave them. You just distance yourself or push them the fuck. They push you away as hard as they can. So there you are, just anxious, getting the anxious part from your partner as well. So you're both clinging on each other. It's probably toxic as all hell, and it feels great. <laughs> um, and uh, then they just push you away, and you're like, what the fuck just happened? That really isn't fair. Uh, we, we stop, and uh, then they just uh, leave you, or whatever. Um, maybe they uh, will cheat on you or something. They, they do something drastic to make themselves feel totally separate from you. And then they come back because they need you. And this uh, perpetuates an endless cycle. That, that is, that's a trauma bond just right there. That is, that is like the two-minute-long two definition of a trauma bond. But we're, we're gonna go, I'm going to go deeper into this because I think that something of this... Um, of this magnitude deserves uh, a th- throw more thorough uh, de- de- description and definition here. So we're gonna say that I'm reading here that um, people with a history of um, childhood PTSD definitely are susceptible to this. In our case, uh, that includes both of us. Um, the severity of which is not relevant in my opinion because everybody experiences um, and reacts to trauma differently. Nobody is the same what one person might have been able to brush off their shoulder and carry it on through life just fine with might deeply impact another so nobody experiences trauma the same now i went through attachment styles now um so anybody that has a a, a low sense of self image or self-worth is definitely susceptible to this um uh, that, that includes both ends both ends of the spectrum here um the abuser and the victim and i hate to use the word victim so May I do something different here? Let's say the going on the suggestion from a friend here. I am going to call them the the antagonist and the protagonist. Use some classic novel terms here. So, where was I here? We're talking about the kind of people that tend to get involved in the trauma bonds. Okay, so I consider myself more of the anti-hero, I guess. I'm like kind of a bad guy, a good guy that does bad things, or vice versa, um, because I do see a lot of toxic traits in myself, I'm not just being ghastly here, I, I really am a more introspective type, and I, I know that I'm not fucking innocent, okay, I'm definitely not innocent, so, people with um, mental health issues, okay, we're talking about things like anxiety disorders, um, bipolar, borderline personality disorder, guilty right here. I'm not ashamed to admit it because I have controlled my to a great level. I have gone come leaps and bounds with my BPD. I've been coming back out again hard, and I'm not proud of it. Which is one of the reasons I'm doing this episode here. Um, so we're talking people with separation anxiety, people that have a hard time being away from their partners. It does fall along the lines of the codependency spectrum. And last one I'm reading here from this is uh, choosingtherapy.com. I have BetterHelp and choosingtherapy.com. These are the two sources I'm using. People who are sensitive to rejection, that involves both of us. Luckily for the antagonist here, he never gets rejected by me, like ever. <laughs> Look again. Um, why do why do I give this to him? Because I'm deeply and helplessly in love with this motherfucker, no matter what he does to me. Um, which gets onto limerence, which I'll once again I'll get to it. It's a term that's rarely used, but it definitely speaks volumes when I found it it said it made me uncover and I realized I realized so much about how I am in this relationship um, so the seven stages of trauma bonding we got to go the type of people that are involved in now 
before I get into the seven stages, I want to talk about exactly what it is. So, in a nutshell, Charlotte Bond is where the antagonist, okay, and the protagonist, they meet each other and they start a relationship very fast. The sex probably starts really fast and thus comes love bombing. Yes, yeah, so we love bomb each other, though I was less familiar on how to do such things, though I showered him with romance and I was given taking a, uh, I was given great, amazing sex, uh, drugs, and uh, lots of lunch dates and dinner dates uh, in, a, in a very short amount of time. So I would really had net, we'll get to this. So that's called, that's the love bombing phase. Okay, you start with that, and that's like in this person and you end up getting very close very fast. Very soon, the, the antagonist starts about t- t- showing you signs of par- pulling apart. Um, but not really kind of kind of sort of pulling apart but it's hard to tell uh, it goes into full-on abuses uh, mental abuse confusion loss of sense of self and next thing you know they just up and left you and you have no idea what the fuck even happened the past year now let's break that down so love bombing like i described is as uh choosing as choosing therapy uh, uh, describes it okay it's a sudden intense attempt to create a we in the relationship through high praise and excessive flattery that is a very subtle way of putting it. Like it can, it's to include, um, like I said, um, spending money on them. Uh, this can include great sex. This can include um, travel. It can include um, like showing romance for the first time. People, a lot of people don't know romance anymore. It seems to be a lost art. So I know when I, when I show it to people, they seem to be almost surprised by it. You're welcome. So what, the, what this does, though, the, the, the love bombing is that it lets... It makes the um, the the pro the protagonist let their guard down. Uh, now, me for example, I had walls up. Okay, I had lots of walls up because I had had a very unpleasant five-week relationship right before I met uh, my my boyfriend. And I can see it well again. So later. I'm gonna keep that in there too. I, I gotta smoke while I do this shit. Otherwise, I can't even talk about it. The effect of love bombing on me definitely proved true to what I'm reading here, exactly to a T, that it made me think that this person had nothing but the absolute utmost best intentions for, for me. They wanted me to be the happiest person possible, and it would always be this way, right? Because fairy tales never end. That's providing a sense of stability and security. I felt, for the first time in my whole life, I felt safe. I had always lived my entire life in fear, and I, I still do, obviously. I have, I have always lived my life in fear from the young age of probably six or seven. I never really felt safe anywhere for any reason, anytime. I mean, that's probably why I became an addict. Uh, I, I tried to drug in the fucking book. I've been an alcoholic for years. I went to rehab for it. Um, all these things. And I, I admit them, too. I have no problem with that because it's part of who I am. It is, it's not me. It is not me. I am me. But it's part of who I am. It's probably what makes me who I become. And so, you know, you had um, amazing love and uh, romantic sex and then drugs into the mix of this, and I am fucking hooked on this person. I had never been taken out to eat before in my life. I mean, like, I, my ex-wife had inheritance money. She paid for it, but, I mean, she didn't exactly take me out. I mean, I, I still drove, and I had to do the ordering and everything. She doesn't know how to do any of that stuff, so it, it doesn't matter. She's cool. She's still cool in that book. 
what is that? I had, I had experienced, I was experiencing things I never felt before. I was, I was pretty much taken under this person's wing, and uh, I felt this sense of I could kind of let myself go and just allow it to just happen, and it, it felt like a massive weight had been lifted off my shoulders, and also this tormenting feeling of loneliness I had despair I had felt throughout the past uh, few months of being single. Now, with borderline, you you have this general general inner feeling of emptiness when you are alone for too long, and it, it, it eats you, it sucks your soul, man. So the relief I felt from this was um, beyond you know, words, really. And this lasted for many, many months. Uh, we met in October of 2021, and uh, we, he didn't move in with me until mid to late January of 22. So, you know, we're talking three months later, and uh, wow, three months of not living with my partner. It seems almost unfathomable. <laughs> uh, my partner's always, partner always moved in right away. I, I was actually, I actually bitched about it a lot, but I'm really glad that we had those few months where he didn't move in. We could just kind of keep that going for a bit, because uh, it felt great every time. I'm gonna tell you that it was, it was still during this phase, it was in November, early December, I noticed the first signs of him being an asshole to me, really. Uh, he claimed he was sick, that's all I knew. I didn't really know what he meant because when I asked his symptoms, he wouldn't tell me. He liked to speak cryptically. And I'm not trying to talk bad about this person, like I said, I love this person, but I'm going to say the truth, okay? So, he would not want to talk to me on the phone anymore, and we always talked on the phone. He would call me on his way to work and chat with me for half an hour. He'd wake me up at 5.30 in the morning, and I'd, I'd wake up and talk to him, go back to sleep, because I'd fallen head over heels very fast. Oh, I need the dim lighter again. I'm sorry. Thank you. So, so strange new things are happening that I've never experienced before in all the best positive ways. And two months later, um, he's sick for like five days straight, and for five days, he's just a dick to me. Like, I couldn't figure out why. I didn't know what I had done. He said I'd done nothing wrong. He's sick, but why? How are you sick? I don't. It made no fucking sense. All right. And I think this might have been the first form of like narcissism that I had ever experienced, really, at least covertly. And the covert is a scary kind because you don't really understand what's happening. So there was that. Okay. And then in January he moved in, and uh, things did change. Now I want to point out Thanksgiving that year he was not going to come over. It was just me and my kids. I had these grand raws plans for Thanksgiving and I fucked everything up. I had no idea how to cook a Thanksgiving dinner. This motherfucker comes in, takes over, takes charge, and saves Thanksgiving for me and my kids. I had never been so thankful for somebody in my life, I think. Um, he was there for Christmas Day. Uh, it was, yeah, New Year's Eve, all the holidays. And these are like, I was gonna, I was getting ready and to spend them alone. And I, I uh, that earlier that year, and I was, Pretty, pretty depressed about it, really, and um, it just seemed all too good to be true, and it kind of was, I guess, um, to some extent, because this last Christmas fucking sucked, <laughs> you know, so, coming on to December into January, once the initial honeymoon slash love bombing phase ended, they, it's called the trust and dependency stage, okay, and this makes perfect sense because this is when I had, had gained full trust in him, I depended upon him in many ways to come in and save me, save the day. I called him my knight in shining armor. Um, he he uh, was everything I had ever hoped for and more. And so it's during this time that you're kind of tested. They kind of do, like I said, de December, the whole sick thing. I'm kind of being tested to how I react when they pull away. And I 
stayed cool, I remember, for about two days. And on the third day of him still being assholic, I didn't respond well, and I kind of whined a little bit. And uh, yeah, I, I probably whined a lot, actually, because that's, that's, that's kind of who I am sometimes. But honestly, I really honest, honest, often say that my my greatest error here was whining and bitching too much. Um, so that stage is similar, right? And uh, you're still doing good. I'd say then come March. So this took a while. We're talking, what is this, uh, six months later? This is called the criticism stage. So I'm going to quote this here. It says, Once they've got your trust, emotional abusers may start to pick apart some of your qualities, identifying them as insignificant or problematic. Okay, dot, dot, dot. It can feel very sudden. Um, right after you feel experience the love bombing stage, it's like, where the fuck is this coming from, right? Um, now that they had our trust, they can do this and we're not going to leave them because we're already caught. And, uh, I mean, I caught him too. Like, honestly, I love on him too in some ways. And, uh, you know what? I had my stages too where I was an asshole a lot, okay? Not like, not like in the same way though. I can't say which one was worse. It was his, but of course we're going to have a little self-biases. So, um, these are where like, even though they did this, they apologized after this and they, you know, say, I'm so sorry for doing this. Please forgive me. You know, I'm, you were right, blah, blah, blah. And this was hard for me to do because when I know I'm right, I'm not going to say I'm not right. I'm not going to say, uh, I was so wrong for doing this when I know I'm not in the fucking wrong at all. Like, I, I will, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't speak bullshit, okay? But he would apologize to me and I said, okay, I'll, I'll forgive you. But I remember going home one day from a doctor's appointment he had in Portland. This would have been in February. And uh, I just had this awful sour taste in my mouth. Eh? Because what happened was we go down to P-Town, we're in Maine here, and we're driving a rental car towards Marsh because we crashed his car the month prior. And this car was his pride and joy. It was his dream car. He had paid off a $19,000 car or something like that. The whole fucking shebang. I don't know how much it was. It was, it was a Mazda, man. It was a fucking nice, sweet car. And we're driving the rental car, and I accidentally lit up a cigarette. And I shouted at to put it out, and I threw it out the window, apologized profusely. And next thing I know, I'm being screamed at at the top of his lungs. And when he's screaming at me, it didn't really make any sense. Like, uh, literally, literally, I didn't understand what he was trying to tell me. Like, it, he started saying things that didn't apply to me. Like, like he was just for the sake of screaming. And this is ironic because I had told him I had made myself way too vulnerable. Like, things that I sh- thought I could trust him with. Uh, how, when I was younger, my mother used to trap me in a car and scream at me for hours on end. And it's a trigger for me. A very big trauma um, response would come from that, I said. And so this is happening to me, and I completely shut down. And then on the way back, I did it again. And I didn't understand why this is happening. I mean, I mean, I really being yelled at, screamed at, and I'm like this sticky, sweet, wonderfully nice man that has treated me like fucking gold for months now is now ver- verbally abusing me, like nth degree in this car and causing a severe trauma response for me. And 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 um, I somehow managed to still, after my initial panic attack, uh, still tried to utilize the psychology research, I, I things I had learned, and I. Finally convinced him to pull over on a fucking exit. 
stopped the car and I said, you think you have some things you, you want to get off your chest? And I, I, can, I encouraged him to screw it out. Dad, well, this would be healthy. And he did. And I said, I, I let him do it. And I was kind of looking at him with this, like, I remember, not astonished look, but this, like, incredulous. I was I felt incredulous. I'm like, what the, f- really? Really, man? What the fuck is this? And now it's getting old now, so, you know. So I let him do it. And and he shut down for a minute. And then I said, do you feel better after? He says, yes. And then he, the whole way back, he apologized. In a very sincere manner. So that started that, okay? That's the criticism phase, but this is an ex- another extreme form of it. Uh, but that, that's it, man. And so, that I say I'm, I, I'm not innocent here because criticism, I did a lot of that. I'm not going to go into it because this would severely violate personal boundaries, but his past and I are not friends. I do not enjoy, I do not, I don't agree with his sexual past and um, my viewpoints on it were very harsh and staunch. And I was a dick about it. I was a very judgmental piece of shit. Take one too far here. I was very judgmental, and I, he didn't deserve the names and words I called things like that. And let's just leave it at that. So I was very judgmental about that, plus many other, plus many other things. And he would like to exploit my vulnerabilities and my traumas, and uh, weaponize them and use them against me any way he can. But they were few. It was like two, two periods in between, you know. So then what's called, it's called the manipulation and gaslighting phase. This is number four. And gaslighting, in lack of better terms, if, if you haven't learned enough about mental health yet to know what this is, gaslighting is basically a form of making you believe something um, that you've done that you didn't do. So let's say, you know, say we went to McDonald's yesterday and you say, no, we didn't, we went to Burger King. And you're so suave about it that you actually believe this person. Um, that's a bad example of that. That's an example of gaslighting. So if they make you believe you did something that you did not do, say something you did not say. And um, I noticed that um, this particular thing as gaslighting gets, has, it becomes more and more common. It starts off slow because you might not realize it's happening. And once you catch on to it, you realize it happens more and more and more because especially if you start to contradict it, that's when it really starts happening the worst because then they feel like they're, they're losing at this game and they'll 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 utilize it as much as they can they they got they got to win so i remember that the first time i ever called about on it that i really realized because i i had heard of it and I, I did some research on it and i said okay was when without going into details i had asked a question that was important to me um something whether he had done it or not uh, yeah he had cheated on me yes he did first time uh, that, uh, that time. and so I asked him a question about it and he went round and round in circles for about over oh, at least five minutes went down rabbit hole to rabbit hole to rabbit hole until finally he ends it and I said but you never answered my question and he said yes I did I said what was your answer I just, I just said it I told you answer I'm not saying it again and I said no I'm going to drop this because you're gaslighting me and you never answered my question at all and I bet if I were to say right now, right here, right here, right now, say, answer my damn question, you wouldn't answer, would you? And thus became the rabbit holes from there. I said, oh, you know, let's just, just stop this right now. Forget it. I'll never get the answer to this question. I'm, I'm convinced this now. I, like five months later, I did. But So, um, yeah, that starts, okay? And that is a, a, a severe form of manipulation. And um, uh, this also includes blame shifting. That this, that, as it also can, can could be considered a form of gaslighting. But say, if you say, um, you did this to me, 
uh, antagonist, and then they say, no, protagonist, you did this to me. Well, no, I'm blaming you for something. You can't turn around and blame me. Or if you ask a question, they answer your question with a question. Like in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a debate, in a professional debate, that's against the rules. So, um, yeah, they, these are the forms of manipulation that I guess I experienced. Um, it, it seems like that it's not even abusive at all. It seems like it's not, but it really is manipulation. It's a way to avoid answering these questions you have or these accusations you may have or a way to avoid taking any blame whatsoever by shifting around onto you or simply making you believe that it didn't even happen at all. And it's, it's hard to realize this at first, but seriously, watch over these signs in any relationship. Even a, a boss coworker, a boss employee relationship, a parental relationship. Lots of people do these things, um, and they can be hard to recognize. So, recognizing manipulation in your life is important because a lot of people can take advantage of um, a lot of more kinder folk by doing these subtle traits, subtle things, right? So, last one, year five. I never, this one, I. I'm still struggling to understand this one a bit, I guess. It says resignation and giving up. I didn't. I never did this. Um, this is where they, it says, uh, and I quote here, the targets of abuse, dot, 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 start giving up and giving in at some point to avoid more conflict. The fawn trauma response, it says, or bargaining and people-pleasing behaviors may ensure the relationship can remain somewhat stable. Um... Given my personality, no, I absolutely didn't know I did this. I fought back tooth and nail the entire time, and uh, the last few months of our relationship was very rocky, rigid, and full of conflict. Um, I, I'm sorry, I'd rather have conflict than admit and give in to something that I know is wrong. Um, I do not um, in any way allow injustice to happen to me. If I can help it, I will speak up, and I will cause tremendous arguments if I, I don't want to. But um, I, if something's happening that's not right, I'll fucking say it. Um, I really strongly believe in authenticity and being genuine. And if my authenticity is being threatened by somebody, whatever they're doing to me, gassing me, or accusing me of some bullshit, or in any way treating me what I consider wrong, talk to me, talk to me rudely when there's no reason to. If I ask a question, simple question with a pleasant tone of voice, and I'm being given an asshole that fucking reply with a terse, rude tone of voice, I'll say, excuse me, I, I, what the hell did I do to make you respond to me like that? I, I, I won't, no, I won't stay for that shit. And um, I'm I'm surprised that this person came back to me like they did, when they did. So, number six here, and this one is, makes me want to cry, this is, this is the loss of self phase, as it calls it. This is where I stop recording my podcast, this is where I don't call my my mother very much like I don't really do that much anyway but I should do that more note self call mom more often me so anyway so it's where you really forget who you are and you know your name you know everything about yourself when you graduate school but you lose your identity like you might stop listening to your music you might stop your hobbies okay like this is where you don't see your friends as often and uh, this is a slowly perpetuating thing throughout the relationship. It gradually gets worse and worse, and it's really hard to catch yourself on this. And um, it usually involves other people telling you, or the initial, the eventual breakup, if there is one, um, the first one at least. These relationships tend to be back and forth roller coaster rides. Um, they are very toxic, and so losing your sense of self is um, a terrible thing because you, if there's a, an antagonist there, then they can really take advantage of you. Um, 
which I want to point out though, in my relationship though with this person, antagonistic and protagonistic as it might be, I don't believe that this person was actually aware of that he was doing any of these things. And I think that the crash of that car is what started this. I think that this might have all been avoided if he had kept his job, kept the car, and had his sense of self there. Boom. I think that a series of unfortunate events led him to lose who he had become. And I think that might be why it truly got abusive, so to speak. Okay, the last stage is the perpetuation, like I said, it's the addiction to the cycle. And it is, a, it is an addiction. So, okay, so when there's stress in the relationship, it releases cortisol in your brain. That is a chemical that causes anxiety, mostly, but it causes negative emotions, um, fear. Okay, so then then think then when you get the, the carrot from the donkey, right? The donkey is chasing the carrot, which is being dangled by a string every now and then. The, the, the farmer with the wagon gives the donkey a bite of that carrot, okay? then that's that's that the love that you get from it and that's the dopamine release sometimes it's great sex sometimes it's taking you to dinner and smiling and treating you like a, like a queen or a king whatever it is you feel great it makes you feel really fucking good because you've been working up you're working towards it and once you recognize this pattern even if it's subconscious you know it's going to happen and when it happens you're happy and I start thinking okay well I wonder how long I'll be happy for and sometimes I'm pleased by the duration sometimes I'm rather pissed off a little disappointed it was only like a day or two like <laughs> um it's sad that um, you'd be aware of this um yet still almost enjoy it it's uh I can't describe why but I'm like which, this, which leads me finally to I promise you to describe the term liberance in short terms liberance is an obsessive love where you can, if you're lucky, stop thinking about this person for five to ten minutes. It's usually not used in terms of relationships. It's often in terms of, um, you know, from what I read, it's like stalkerish, stalkerish love. But in relationships or exes, there has to be a breakup for this. Really, I, I believe there has to be a breakup for this. You fantasize about them so much about what you had. You have a crystallized characterization of them in your brain that you had once received in that hiding phase and you cannot see them as anything else than that and you will not recognize the toxic traits because all you see them for is that wonderfully positive happy mesmerizing person that you met that one time maybe it was one day maybe it might it was a few months but that's all they all will ever be to you and you will do anything to get that back and so that's your goal. It's 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 a it's a it's a, a fool's quest because it will never you'll never get it back. You can't remake a honeymoon phase once you enter the enter the trauma bond. I mean, you, it's not real. It never will be real again. You have to move on. But once you have limits, this lasts for a lifetime. And as they say, it could be a, a few months, a years, or it could be your whole life. People die this feeling this way about somebody and being married to somebody that they didn't love because they always loved that one person from 20 years ago and they never stopped the limits. Uh, it's scary to think that I mean I I, I experienced this and it's uh, it's not something that I can control. I mean I've tried I've tried my tricks and it doesn't. It, being part of this person, we would I would message him and he'd read the messages and not respond. And this would go on for weeks sometimes, if not a month. And uh, 
it becomes really, really difficult. But at least you know they read it. Or they pretended to. They, they opened it. It's just enough to keep you hanging on. And when that happens, the best thing to do, limited or not, is to stop responding to them. Do you want them back? You probably shouldn't. But I'll be honest here. I'm not, I'm not here to give you advice. Stop talking to them. And they will start talking to you again. And they will come back. Especially if you tell them you have a new love interest in your life. They'll come running back to you. And start the abuse and reward system all over again. And it feels like fucking heaven. So, thank you for listening to 35 fucking minutes of this shit. Um, but you know what? That is a very long, drawn-out third description with a great example of a trauma bond. Because I lived it. I've lived for a long time. And it just, you know, that shit just keeps on going, man. It's a uh, considerate lifelong Im- imprisonment and uh, wealth. <laughs> um, it's weird. So, yeah, that, that combination of those two dramatically separate things. I'm sorry about the smoke alarm, by the way. I'm in my room recording this because I have roommates now and I have people on my couch and I'm trying not to be rude and also I don't want to be overheard too much. This is rather private until I post it. But that damn smoke alarm goes off all the fucking time. I don't know how I deal with it, but you know what? Once you hear noise for too long, you just goes in the background. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to my podcast. Your listenership, as little as it I get from this, it, it feeds my ego, okay, in a really positive way. My self-esteem goes up, and I go out and maybe I'll fucking go to work with a smile on my face tomorrow because you guys, y'all listen to my fucking shitty recordings of my crappy, or crappy podcast and my horrible speech impediment I have sometimes. You know what? But it gives insight and it helps people I've heard. I've heard positive reviews, so it's not pointless. Thank you so much for listening to Where's My Mind. Chevy B. Air, also known as Brian R. Barter. That is my name. I live in Maine. And um, the weather here is fucking really shitty really soon. Have a good night. So, now that we've gotten all that out of the way, we've discussed exactly what trauma bonding is, what it can be, and the potential for it. I want to point out that many times both parties can be the antagonist, the antagonistic one depending on what it's about, regardless, you know, I can be a real son of a bitch. I am not entirely innocent here, and I want that to be known. I said, I, do, I do suffer from borderline, and um, there were times where I got so irate that I destroyed, the, I, I took off the door of one of my kitchen cabinets, like on accident. Um, so while I am the one that usually remains calm and does not um, exacerbate the situation or think I am, I, in hindsight, in, in, in introspection, I am guilty of doing things that are not okay. We all are. It takes some level of both parties doing it for this to happen. I don't think that in these things here, that any victim party, quote unquote, is entirely innocent. You have to do something to exacerbate this here. Like, I think so. But it takes a lot to realize that. And it involves a level of therapy to even get a hold of this, even realize what's going on. It took me over five months to realize this was even happening to me and why I felt so anxious all the time. And it took self-therapy, honestly. I actually, I, I just got involved in therapy again when I started understanding things. Um, so I can't advocate enough for a psychologist or psychotherapist, not an LCSW, God forbid, <laughs> for your mental health. And uh, please, mental health is so important right now and people are still ignoring it. So it, it should not be taboo. Discuss this shit. Make it, make it, make it norm, dude. Make it normies. Thanks for listening. This is Brian Abarter from Where's My Mind. Over and out.